Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Events with Benefits, a podcast designed uh, to help nonprofit organizations achieve more success at their fundraising events. And today we have a really interesting guest on the show. He comes from the Pacific Northwest. His name is Nelson Jay, one of the top producing fundraising auctioneers up in that part of the woods, very competitive part of the country up there. Lots of uh, big companies, fairly affluent area, tons of uh, fundraising auction events, and just as many fundraising auctioneers. So how does this guy set himself apart? Uh, we're in Orange County, California today, the world head office for uh, Winspire joining me. As always, our marketing director, uh, Ian Loth and Renee from Donation Match. So uh, hi. Hey, team. Hey, hey, Denny, and uh, thanks again, once again, for uh, for heading this up. Uh, you're a great host. Did anyone ever tell you that you're a great host? Oh, I thought you said I thought you said a graying host. Uh, well, you're that too, but I'm not going to tell you that. So uh, <laughs> handsome as ever. Anywho, yes, Nelson Jay here uh, was just a fabulous guest. We actually just got done with his, his interview. Um, he is just awesome. Has a bunch of great creative ideas. He's a very uh, creative man himself. Uh, has some fabulous bow ties and uh, custom jackets that he is kind of his signature uh, look there for his auctions. But uh, it was just a fabulous conversation with him. Uh, learning about uh, you know, you hear this all the time. Some people saying you know the, the charity auctions they're dying. You know they're going away. Well, is that true? Well, we kind of talk about that today. Uh, if there's any merit to that. Thanks, Ian. Uh, and you know, I've personally worked on over 50 silent auctions myself, volunteered on all of them. And it's always so helpful to hear from auctioneers like J- like Nelson here, who see so many events a year. And, you know, he, he talks about pitfalls. He talks about, um, quick little tips that, you know, there's some techniques he mentioned in this episode that I'm going to be practicing in my next auction. And I think you'll want to listen to this. Well, definitely. If you have a fundraising auction event coming up, you want to stay tuned. Lots of gold here and let's get started right now. Nelson Jake Gavillo auctions. Boy, I've been really excited to talk to Nelson Jay uh, ever since I heard he was going to be a guest on our podcast. I had the pleasure of meeting Nelson back at the Benefit Auctioneer Summit in San Diego uh, last fall. Uh, Nelson, how would people up there in your market uh, describe you? You're up in the Seattle area there, and, and, and organizations that you have served, how do you think they would describe Nelson Jay? Um, that's a great question. Well, I think they would describe me as being, um, probably the, the, the nerdy, slightly geeky auctioneer. And, uh, I, I'm well known for wearing hats and colorful attire. So I think that's probably, um, that's probably how they would know me. Yeah, like like bow ties. Uh, a lot of yeah, well, a lot of bow ties. I have a, a fabulous collection of custom made uh, suits and, and jackets that are pretty fun. I have yet to uh, bring those to a benefit auction summit, but who knows? Maybe the next one, Danny. All right. Now, what I remember about you from the summit, well, I remember lots. I was very impressed. But uh, what's your fascination with bicycles? What's this all about? Well, uh, many years ago, many like more than ten, I was uh, about to turn forty. And I had uh, high cholesterol and the doctor said, you know, you need to ramp up your cardio or start taking drugs for the rest of your life. And I was like, huh, I think I'm going to start riding a bike. So I started riding my bicycle and my cholesterol dropped and I've been riding my bike ever since. And now I actually ride on a, um, a cycling 
club that is a, a group of uh, like-minded folks, and we raise money for all sorts of causes like um, Juvenile Diabetes Foundation through the Tour to Cure rides, and uh, we do things with Parkinson's and cancer cures and clean air. So uh, that's a wonderful group. It's called R4C, and it stands for Writing for Cures, and it's a Seattle-based uh, cycling club. All right. All well, in, about it, in, in addition to that, you raise hundreds of thousands of dollars probably every month for uh, a wide variety of nonprofit organizations in your capacity as a professional fundraising auctioneer. Uh, just maybe lead up a little, if you can, to how you landed in in this space. Well, uh, great question. I started out, uh, my, my professional career actually started in the alcoholic beverage industry. I was a uh, uh, worked at a, a brewery in the microbrew business for a company called Red Hook Ale Brewery based here in Seattle, one of the pioneers in the uh, rapidly growing craft beer scene. Love, I love me some I, uh, love me some Red Hook there, Nelson. I must say, I'm, I'm a Seattle native, and you're going to be saying a lot of things, and I, I just want to sit back here and say, woohoo! Ian, you can't yeah. not be jumping in here every time he says something that reminds you of home. Right. It, yeah, I live we're in gonna, Victoria gonna... out in Vancouver Island. I just want to say go Hawks. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right. Go my... All right, right, so you started in the craft brew industry. What happened then? Well, so during that time, we were we had a strong commitment. You know, it's a, a local Seattle company, and we did a lot of uh, work for local charities and nonprofits in the form of in-kind contributions. We donated a lot of uh, beer to the events, as well as unique experiences that could be sold during uh, the live fundraising auctions. And I wasn't, I had never even been to an auction until I worked at Red Hook. And I, I imagine it was in the mid 90s that I went to my first event and a local auctioneer named Dick Friel, who was legendary and really started many of the tactics used in uh, fundraising auctions today. He and his wife, Sharon Friel, were uh, legendary in these parts, and they did so much to raise money. They, in fact, took the uh, Seattle model on the road to Australia and traveled the world and the country raising money and sharing what they knew about fundraising auctions. And And as a result, I think that has much to do with uh, why Seattle is, uh, for many folks, considered sort of ground zero for fundraising auctions. There are something like 450 fundraisers a year in the city and we have, uh, we're fortunate to have tech companies like Microsoft and Amazon and Starbucks, which is a coffee company that's very tech-centric. But there's a lot of growth and a, a very healthy economy here. And as a result, there's a lot of uh, largesse in the market. Now, I would imagine there's a fair bit of competition uh, as a fundraising auctioneer. You've probably got a fair bit of competition in the Seattle marketplace. There are certainly a lot of folks up here that uh, offer auctioneering services, and they're, uh, to be honest, Danny, I think much like yourself, I would I would imagine that uh, the biggest competition is is the eight inches between my ears. Uh, there are a lot of there's a lot of events, and I am fortunate to have a great client list that's very loyal and. And there certainly are opportunities to grow the business and. And there's also, I guess you could say there's competition, but my experience has been it's much uh, much nicer to connect over coffee and visit with the other auctioneers in this market and share what's working and, and what some of the challenges are. Because as an independent business person, uh, it, it's just helpful to have some other people to bounce ideas off of. And, and if I'm booked, I mean, there's one of me, and I, I like to connect other 
um, National Auctioneer Association, BAS auctioneers with uh, opportunities if I can't serve the client. So. All right. BAS, of course, is the Benefit Auctioneer Specialist. That's a designation uh, uh, that is earned uh, from our National Auctioneers Association here for people that uh, have really gone the extra mile, done the extra work, uh, done the homework, and, and learned this particular craft and art. Um, so what do you bring to the table, Nelson? Uh, what do you bring to the table in, in terms of uh, when a client has hired you? Uh, let's talk about some of the things that might differentiate you uh, from a regular auctioneer who perhaps has donated his time but uh, maybe spends more of his time auctioning automobiles or artwork or whatever? Sure. Yeah, great question. Well, the uh, the thing that most, most uh, professional benefit auctioneers bring to the table is a keen understanding of creating a custom roadmap for each client to make sure that their uh, financial goals as well as non-financial goals are met. And I, I say non-financial goals because I, I believe that it's, it's incumbent on, on every auctioneer. It, it, the expectation is that you're going to help them raise more money than an amateur might raise. But I think there are some non-financial goals that, that a professional fundraiser can help with. And those can include things like uh, donor retention, and connecting with the audience. You may be in a mode where you need to expand the board and having an understanding of what the real uh, challenges and goals are for the organization can help create a specific roadmap for the event that that helps achieve achieve all of those goals in addition to raising money and, and hitting or exceeding the mark from a fundraising standpoint. So that that's what I bring to the table, and, and that requires understanding all the different nuances associated with fundraising as well as some of the challenges of uh, board dynamics. I've served on a board of directors for a nonprofit before. I am a board member of a nonprofit right now, and and so there, there are some things that I can uh, sort of help sympathize with some of their challenges and, and perhaps bring a fresh perspective uh, to the table and, and help them achieve those goals. All right, let's go to the stage right now. Uh, it's it's event night. We've got uh, the houses packed with uh, people hopefully there to support the cause. Uh, you open your you open your toolbox, and what are some of the Nelson J techniques or strategies that uh, that you might have at your disposal? Some of the ideas maybe you've come up with, or some of your best ideas you've stolen uh, to help extract more money from that audience. Sure. Well, one of one of the favorite things that that I like to do is to kick off each night with a with a warm-up activity and the warm-up activity is described as just simply finding your bid cards and holding them up and while that doesn't seem hard it's amazing how many people are unprepared for the start of the live auction so getting the bid cards up is is a great way to sort of break the ice and and it also is a wonderful social media photo opportunity for both the auctioneer as well as the organization and many, many groups will bring a, a photographer to their events, and it looks super fun when you're talking about the event after the fact or when you're trying to hit up prospective sponsors in the future to show that there's a lot of engagement at the event. So once those bid cards are up, I then actually, not with every event, but many of them, particularly schools, uh, we will go into what's called a specific drive for a need. And it's, it's kind of, it's different than the paddle raise or the fund a need. It's actually a low level 
nominal fee ask of, of like $25. And if it's for a school, we might say for paper and teacher supplies. And there, so then we just move right into a slide after raising paddles. And that slide says $25 supplies drive. And I zip through the room and with 200 to 300, 400 guests at 25 bucks a piece or more, you can start the night off with two to $4,000. Um, and it doesn't take long, but it's a great way to kind of uh, set the tone for the, for the evening ahead. So that, that's been fun. And that's something that I learned from, from a colleague, Stephen Kilbreath, who's a local auctioneer in this market. And I was filling in for him and he said, Hey, here's something that I do at my school auction. And I said, Stephen, that's crazy. Doesn't that cannibalize the, the paddle raise later? And he said, you know, it doesn't really. And the fact of the matter is the guests view it as a nominal, very specific need. And the, they really like getting their uh, bid cards up for that. And, and we'll also invite them to hold up two, three, or four fingers if they want to give more than 25. And if they hold up four fingers, that's 100 bucks. So it's a, it's a very effective tool, and it's a fun way to, to kick things off and to keep things Great. light. So now you're down there. You're running through the room. Are you calling out all of those paddle numbers or those bid card numbers then for the clerks to record? That's correct. Yep. Just through the room, and and I let people know, particularly if it's a, you know, there's a certain size uh, room, Danny, where it's it's not going to work logistically, it just doesn't make sense. And frankly, for a large, uh, a high dollar fundraiser that's, you know, at two hundred fifty thousand or more, probably not a great use of the time. But in in a case of a smaller event that's, you know, fifty thousand to less than 200,000, you know, that, that two to $3,000 can be a nice, uh, nice windfall for the live. And, and you don't, you know, it, it costs nothing to do it. It's just a bit of time. Exactly. You talk about a windfall. In fact, that kind of money, 2,500 or $3,000 is more than a lot of schools would make in their cookie selling program. That's correct. And it actually, when you look at it in terms of amount of energy, uh, expended for something like procurement in the silent auction and displaying the silent, you know, it can help offset some of the other activities that can that can take a lot of time and produce uh, modest returns. Let's talk about the ways that you like to see the uh, the actual show flow uh, take place. Silent auction. What's your opinion? When should the silent auction be closed? Should there be multiple sections to the silent auction? Uh, should you close one of the sections early or the whole thing? Or what are your thoughts surrounding a silent auction? Well, the the general uh, school of thought that I have is that the longer you run the silent auction, the more it will make. However, if you run it too long, you start bumping into your real money-making activities later in the evening. So at a typical event, if it started at five, I would say for most of the events that I do, we start closing silent auctions around 630 and a bit after that. If there are too many items for a single closing, then we'll go to multiple closings. And, you know, two to three is, is pretty typical. Uh, I generally close almost all the silent auctions prior to the start of the live program, mainly because uh, it keeps the crowd focused on the real money-making activities. There are times in certain events where we might have a, something like a super silent where there could be some really fabulous trips or some other unique experiences that, that couldn't make it into the live because perhaps we had too many items in the live. Something like that, you can run those 
say, up until item five or six in the live auction if you had a dozen or, or up to 20 items in your live. But th the challenge with that is that you start piling on a lot of work for your checkout team and for data entry. So if you delay things too much, you can run into a backlog with data entry. And, and I try to be very sympathetic to the people behind the scenes that are making the events go, because if, if they get all the data at once, then guests can't check out, and that creates a lineup or a queue at the end of the night, and that reflects poorly on the organization as well as, frankly, uh, on the auctioneer. So I like to get everything in there early and keep things moving. Here's a question that if I asked 10 different auctioneers, I would probably get 10 different answers. But uh, what is your formula or rule of thumb for how many silent auction items there should be uh, relative to the crowd? Uh, what kind of formula do you use? And also how many uh, items in the live auction? What do you recommend? Well, I, it's typically around 30 percent uh, if there's, you know, 200 guests. 30% of that number, maybe 60 items in a, in a silent. And in terms of live, I, I really steer guests towards fewer and fewer, particularly in this market. It's a very mature fundraising auction market. And a lot of guests, honestly, Danny, they, they want to support the causes. And so what I've done is, is been working with most of my clients to, to narrow those. And if they can get, I mean, school auctions will be somewhere in the low to mid 20 items, some as high as 30. I have a client next April. It's a new school client and they want to do 25 um, class projects in the live plus another 20 uh, live auction items. And I, I said, you know, that, that's, that's not a model that is resonating with guests these days. And, and it really can hamper fundraising because you're just putting your guests through an awfully long night. So I, I, I prefer fewer items this fall in the, in the fall auction season that we just went through. I had uh, one event where I did a minimum of five, five live items with a, a significant paddle raise and then other items or excuse me, other events that, that we did, uh, in the high twenties, as, as on the high end. Yeah. So, I uh, we, less, we always, less is more. Yeah, less is more. I know that's one of your philosophies. We'll talk. We'll circle back and talk about that in just a moment. But we always ad advise our clients: you want to be aware of a thing that I call chant coma. And doesn't matter how how good the auctioneer is, how um, how good they are with their their bid calling. That that auctioneer's chant. People are just going to zone out after a period of time. They're going to disengage with the auction. This has been my experience. Disengage with the auction. The table chatter picks up, and soon you're out of control of the room, and that's a, a situation we always want to avoid. Correct. And the clients, you know, I, it's amazing how many times I people approach me and they say, well, you know, I said, so, you, you know, who did you use last year, and why are you looking for, you know, or considering other auction, auction your talent? They say, well, we felt like uh, it took a long time and our auctioneer kind of lost the room. I say, all right, well, tell me about that. How many, how is your sound system? I mean, there are so many things that go into losing a room. And, and then when you peel back the layers of the, of the onion and you discover that, that they had 45 items <laughs> in the auction and, and, and they did the, the paddle raise was, you know, after item 25, then, 
I mean, and that, that typically, like 10 years ago, that wouldn't have been unusual, but that model is just, it doesn't really work. Everything in, in the world has been compressed. You know, technologies increase the speed of everything, and, and as a result, the, the attention spans of guests are now much shorter than they were. So I, I think it's crucial to to really uh, set the expectation about what's happening. I, I, I ask that every client put the agenda for the night in the catalog and put it right on the inside front cover so that people know what to expect. And, and I don't list out specific auction item numbers. We just, we say the start of the live program and then the paddle raise and dessert and then wrap up of the auction. So, yeah, it's a challenge though. I mean, you know, people come to an event and they want, they want to spend and support and there's a specific number they have in mind. And, and I feel like my role as the auctioneer is to help them, uh, help them transfer that wealth to the organization as, um, in, in as pleasant and quick a manner as possible. I'm going to ask you in a moment here if, uh, what new ideas you've seen out there uh, that seem to be working right now for extracting more money out of the room because as professional fundraising auctioneers, we approach the event with a different mindset than a mindset than what your uh, a regular auctioneer who maybe just sells automobiles or just sells livestock. Uh, that person may come into the room thinking, and uh, how much can I get for this particular auction item? And that truly is their only focus. Uh, we come in, on the other hand, uh, taking a look at that room, saying how can uh, how much money is in this room and how can we extract as much as possible? So uh, what new ideas are you seeing out there and what seems to be trending right now? Well, one of the the things that that I have have thought a lot about uh, up until the last year. And, and this isn't new. I mean, it's new to me, so it's going to be new to your listening audience. But the, the concept of no risk consignment items, uh, and, and this is not to be a shill for my good friends at Windspire, but I, I used to adamantly suggest that my clients not engage in no risk consignment because I uh, mistakenly believed that it took money out of the room, that when somebody spent uh, $4,000 on a trip that that money would have otherwise been spent in the room. But there's and never, there's never any evidence of that. That, well, there, that's true. And further, Danny, there is no, there, there are people that come to every event that want something in return for their dollar. And I, I think that particularly in my market where it is such a mature fundraising market, we have gotten, used to the idea that, well, everybody just wants to support the cause, so we'll just ask them for uh, a paddle raise. And, and while that is a crucial part of any successful fundraiser here and, and at any, in any market, that ability to sell multiple items without any more stress on the donor is crucial, in my opinion. Like I, it's been enlightening to me, and I've had clients that have brought in significantly more money at their events through no risk consignment. And so that's something for me that's new and it's been a great success. And, and quite frankly, I didn't sell any no risk consignment until um, 2016. So it's wow. a new concept for me and um, it's been a great uh, addition and clients appreciate it. Well, hey, uh, uh, Ian, Ian Loth here, Nelson, glad to have you come around finally on the concept of consignment, uh, of course. Um, and it's, it's really refreshing to hear you talk about it in this way. And, uh, you know, I just wanted to mention, as I mentioned before, you know, just this notion of travel budgets, the fact that, you know, people can come into an event with money that they 
are already going to be spending on travel. And this is separate from their philanthropic budget. This is the vacation leisure budget. They are going to be spending one way or another through kayak.com or, you know, wherever. And uh, targeting that with these consignment packages is, is really what you can, it's just another tool, right? As part of the tool shed uh, for doing that. So thank, thanks for the cotton words. Um, to all you listeners out there, I promise we didn't bring Nelson on just to say that, but uh, it's really great to hear you come around on the, uh, the concept of consignment. Yeah, I mean it's been it's been really helpful. And what's incredibly frustrating as as a fundraising auctioneer when you get a fabulous package, uh, and, and I'm sure that when when Danny's selling, he he knows this. If you get an amazing auction item, and and as the auctioneer, it's so fun to sell those unique opportunities, and you build it up and build it up and build it up, and then you know it sells. And when it builds up to a crescendo and you don't have the ability to sell multiples. It, it it's, I just look at it. I mean, it's still a success, but it's, it's also so it, 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 I just think, Oh wow, we could have done so much more. And, and, and that comes with the ability to, to offer multiple trips or experiences or whatever it is. And, and that, that is just, uh, that is how you can take your event from, from one level to the next. It's just, it's difficult to do that without radically increasing headcount or bigger room and you know the expenses to your bank can go way up um but but to get it to scale you, you start to need to bring in things like no risk consignment and and just inc- improve the quality of the the attendees that are there with the capacity to support the cause well here's an important uh, you talked about selling multiples and and we'll circle back to that in just a moment here nelson but an important concept i think for uh potential auction clients nonprofits uh, looking to have or kick up their fundraising auction um, important thought is this let's just for discussion's sake uh say we have 10 items in the live auction they sell for an average of twenty five hundred dollars that's twenty five thousand dollars Let's stop and consider for a second that for each of those items, there was a second high bidder who was not successful in spending the money that he or she was willing to pledge just a few moments earlier. So suppose that your second high bidders in this example dropped off at the $2,000 mark. Well, multiply that $2,000 times 10, there's $20,000 that wasn't captured. So where does that money go? We, we need to have some other methodology for extracting that money, and there's no guarantee. You cannot assume that because somebody didn't get the vacation package they were bidding on, they lost out because they were only prepared to spend $2,000, that they will now take their 2000 and go spend it on the silent auction or buy $2,000 worth of raffle tickets. That's not going to happen. So when Correct. we when we fundraising auctioneers talk about selling multiples, we talk about the ability to turn to that second high bidder and say, Miss Bitter or Mr. Bitter, if we could get a second identical package, would you consider stepping up to the top bid of $2,500 and taking a second package? Nine times out of ten, my experience has been that that second high bidder will say yes to that offer. When they say no, you can then say, well, you had your hand up a moment to go at $2,000. If we let the high bidder have his package for $2,000 and we got you another package at $2,000, would you take it? Now you've pretty well got them painted into a corner, but now you've been able to double up, and instead of selling the item one time for $2,500, you have now captured at least $4,000 for it. So this is what we mean when we're talking multiples. But the important thing here, and Nelson, I know you'll agree, we've got to have this action plan in place 
prior to the event. Everybody has to be on the same page. We need to all be talking this language. And that goes right back to the planning committees who are going out on the procurement committees, the acquisitions committees, the people going out soliciting those donations. We tell our clients or suggest to our clients all the time, um, if you're getting a like a restaurant package, ask the owner of the restaurant that if we happen to get a lightning strike, get a real high price on your dinner package, would you consider donating 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 a second if the price is high enough? More often than not, the answer is yes. But this way, we can come in prepared at the event. You can let your auctioneer know that if this gets a good price, we can double up on it and and sell a multiple. That's right. And that's where the beauty comes in of working with the consignment companies. And of course, you know, we're here in California, Winspire's office today. And, and um, this is the beauty of uh, what I love about selling the Winspire product. Just a week ago tonight, as a matter of fact, uh, I sold a trip to Tuscany, a Winspire package to Tuscany, not once, but three times. Bang, bang, bang. And um, Nelson, I know you've had that same experience, but being an auctioneer, we don't have to ask anybody's permission. When you know, when you're dealing with a Winspire travel experience, you know, automatically you can sell it as many times as you have buyers for it. That's right. That, that's right. And, and I think that um, what's interesting, particularly for clients who haven't yet worked in a no-risk consignment space, I, I do have uh, some folks that I, I can sense that. So, so in addition to the ability to sell multiples, there are some times when that no-risk consignment can add a little gravitas to the live event as well. So for example, they have 10 fine items or 10 fine live auction packages, but there just isn't that sort of signature unique item that really makes the event extra special. Or if they have the same types of items that they've had year after year, that is a recipe for for flatlining or even taking a step backwards because guests want something new to get them excited. So that's where I think also that uh, that select use of strategic no risk consignment can can help out. I know I know we've all got great stories to share. Uh, I had a client back in Canada had served them for I'll bet you fifteen sixteen years. I could tell you blindfolded walking into that room what the live auction items were going to be. There was going to be the autographed Edmonton Oiler hockey jersey, the dinner at the club president's house and a round of golf with them. Same items year after year after year. I finally said to them one night, I said, you need to freshen this event up. So they fired me. And, yeah, right. And just hired a That's different right. auctioneer to come in, come in the next year to right. sell all the same same items. But the good news is after a couple of years, they did call back. So, <laughs> Yeah. Well, it's interesting. I think it's important, too, for, for um, clients to understand that it, it, that no risk consignment is not a replacement for an active and motivated procurement committee. Absolutely. Because you, you really do, you know, it is, it's a wonderful addition to, and, and sort of a supporting component to the live, but you, you don't, you don't really want to get so um, focused on no risk consignment that, that you can take your foot off the gas of procurement because that's crucial. And, and it's second only to getting the right, audience in the room. I'm, I'm really glad you said that, Nelson. I was actually going to jump in and say uh, the same thing. I mean, uh, look, at we're all about, uh, you know, we want our experiences in in the events out there, but at the same time, consignment is not a, a replacement. I'm just going to reiterate it. Uh, we want you to go out and, and go procure items. And, and uh, I think, Nelson, you mentioned it. Uh, 
and we may have heard it from one other guest here, but you know it can actually help in your procurement efforts if if people already know that uh, you know there's a big trip to Napa. Oh well, there's this big trip. Oh, you know it can start getting those uh, you know the light bulbs going for for other donors if if your volunteers can go out and, and kind of carry that information out. So you know it's a consignment isn't a replacement. It's a it's a supplement to it's a, you know it's a small piece of a much bigger puzzle. And uh, just utilizing travel in general is is was what we're all about. Yeah, I love the idea of, of uh, that travel budget because you're right. I mean, people are going to travel, they're going to go on trips, and they may as well go on their trip and help the cause a bit. Well, Nelson, I remember talking to you in uh, San Diego at the Benefit Auctioneer Summit. We were talking about events that have uh, particular themes, and you made the point there that uh, it's a great opportunity to approach these consignment companies to see if they have particular travel packages that tie in nicely to your theme. So if you're doing a a Hollywood Night at the Oscars type of theme or you're doing a... uh, uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, mind you, you can't use that. Those are trademarks, so you got to be careful. But if you're doing that kind of a, a theme or you're doing yeah. a Las Vegas night or you're doing a New York New York experience that, you know, often I think in those cases uh, the organizing committees are well advised to make their first call to one of these consignment companies to see if you can get a customized package. Uh, I love telling the story. I was talking to Ian here yesterday. I have a client back in Canada, a, a Catholic uh, school, and they were raising money. Uh, we put together a trip to the Vatican. Uh, Winspire put together this amazing trip to the Vatican that sold for $17,000. So so um, that's a great place to use the consignment. For sure. I did a, a Kentucky Derby event this last spring, and being in the Pacific Northwest, we don't typically have a lot of connections to, at least the the folks that I hang out with, we don't, we don't have a lot of connections to uh, Kentucky and horse racing. So that was uh that was a really uh great opportunity to have the ability to to go to no risk consignment in that model and and find a trip you know as the signature piece and you know it was a hit great uh real quick we just want to find out what's what are your observations up there in the pacific northwest when it comes to mobile bidding um mobile bidding good question we call it mobile bidding here in the northwest oh, mobile <laughs> mobile yeah uh, that's yeah Canadian term, um, mobile. you know mobile bid we, we yeah, mobile bidding. We we yeah, see uh, we see it sometimes, and certainly at bigger events, it it is becoming. And I say bigger events like these large national fundraisers for uh, various causes and cures. Uh, certainly, it's it's a big part of that. Um, it it is gaining more uh, traction, I would say. Although most of the groups that I work with, it's it's not something that they are. Um, actively using just yet but their 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 inquiries are coming so i expect to see more of it one of the big challenges is really at the at the venues there are a wide range of venues and many of the venues don't have the robust uh support yet for that even though we're in a very wired city there are quite a few venues that are kind of rusticy warehouse spaces and they're just they're just not quite uh, there yet. And a lot of people are comfortable with the traditional paper uh, bidding, but but it's 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 coming. It certainly is. And and particularly in a place where things are crowded or if you don't have room to get people circulating, I mean, frankly, you, you kind of need to go to the mobile bidding model because uh, if you want to keep the bidding active you've got to give people access to bid and if they can't get to the tables they're not going to bid yeah so uh, it, it's 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 happening and and it's certainly worth 
uh, keeping an eye on if, if you're an organization and you're not actively uh, using mobile bidding, I think it's worth looking at and, and starting to weigh, you know, that as an investment to enhance the guest experience. That's that's a big part of, of what drives the planning of all the events that I work with. I, I'm all about guest experience because I, I think if your guests don't have a great time in all aspects of the event, uh, they are unlikely to talk about it afterwards. They're unlikely to come back um, and they're less likely to invite friends. So, I, I think it's crucial to make every aspect of, of an event really positive for the guests so that, that they go out and tell your story and, and help the organization grow. Well, there's an old expression that you can sell the worst bottle of wine once with a good label. <laughs> That's correct. Right? So you've got to create that wow factor. You've got to create that word of mouth. You need to, at all times, remember that the number one reason people buy a ticket to go to a, a fundraising event is to have fun it, that's even ahead of going to support the cause it's to have fun so you really need to be examining uh, how you, what you're doing to generate that fun and excitement for people at the event now um, just a just a quick uh, you know moment here we're gonna ask you just to kind of summarize with three takeaway points uh, for today's listeners but before we go there uh, just your thoughts on the future of fundraising auctions I, I know I've heard people say for years that fundraising auctions are dying off and losing uh, popularity or dropping off in popularity. What are your thoughts? Well, my thoughts are that they're they're always in season. And uh, obviously, I mean, I, I certainly, as a fundraising auctioneer, and you are as well, Danny, I, I hear people say that. And the people that say that typically are people that are selling um, – technological solutions to, you know, fundraising. And I will absolutely agree that there is some donor fatigue out there and that leads to people wanting to do an every other year thing or scale back the amount of prep and work that goes into putting on a big event. Um, but, but I'm, I think that the, I think that the, the live fundraising event, whether it has an auction component or not, I, I think that is the original social media. Like mm -hmm. it's, you just can't achieve the same connection and impact over email or via a phone call as you can in person. I mean, it's the same thing. Uh, it's the same reason that if somebody calls to find out if I can help them with their event, they ask, are you available and how much do you charge? And I said, well, I'll tell you how much I charge when we meet face to face over coffee tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. Yeah, because you just can't. I mean, I can't tell if the person that's giving five hundred dollars on the Internet is able to give five thousand or not. But if I'm standing in front of them at an event and there's a lot of excitement and passion in the room, you know, you can you can really connect with your guests in a face-to-face -face personal manner at a fundraising event. And it's not the only time that you should be connecting with them. I think the important thing to remember is that your fundraising strategy for whatever your, your organization may be, it's crucial and imperative that you are reaching out to those guests more than just for the once a year invitation to your fundraiser. You need to keep them uh, tuned into what, progress you're making, what some of the big goals are, you know, the executive director should be sending out a summary at the end of the year to talk about the highlights from the year. You want to be setting uh, the table for more people to come to your event. And if you need to 
raise more uh, volunteers or you need to increase the volunteer network or, or add to the board, if you're only reaching out when you need something, then, then your job will be much harder and it'll probably be difficult to get uh, any traction in what you're doing. But uh, getting back to the original question in terms of, uh, I, I think fundraisers now more than ever are important and I'm, I'm seeing that in the results. I mean, we are, we're blessed that we're in a very uh, supportive market and, and we've got, you know, events are growing, uh, new events every year. And the events that I do year after year are, are making more money now than they did last year. So yeah. it's an exciting time. I think they're, I think they'll always be relevant. I, I, you know, I, I'm a big fan of technology, but I, I much prefer hanging out with people like yourself in San Diego and, you know, talking about what we do and how we can passionately help others raise more money. Absolutely. Well, I think the last time the um, Auctioneers Association conducted a study, there was well over $16 billion a year flowing through fundraising auctions. And uh, at the conference in San Diego, they were saying that number is probably up based on the experience of the uh, almost 200 professional fundraising auctioneers in attendance. So I'm confident that the future of fundraising auctions is rock solid. I think where the real threat lies is in not hitting the refresh button each and every year on your event and looking for ways that you can uh, uh, step up your game. So anyway, Nelson, just uh, before sure. we cut you loose here, my friend, what are three takeaways that uh, you might share with us here? Um, all right. Good question. I, I've got, I've got a couple uh, for you. And the first one is that the professional fundraising auctioneer is not a line item expense, but it's an investment. And we, we've, I run into people who are uh, every client I work with has an eye on the budget and, and we respect that. And I, it, it always pains me when I see clients uh, or prospects decide that they're going to uh, go with the, the free or low cost, no cost quote unquote auctioneer to help with their event because they, they can't afford the professional. And, and my suggestion is that you can't afford not to hire the professional because I, I promise uh, everybody that I work with that if I can't raise more money than the, than the amateur, uh, I ought not be doing what I'm doing. And without fail, uh, we consistently deliver vastly more value than, than the cost to retain us. So so that's part of it. Uh, the other thing that I that I mentioned earlier, that's that's uh, item number two, is that less is more. And I think it's important to amplify each moment rather than trying to pack more more items, stuff, or activities into your night. I think from a guest experience standpoint, your guests will appreciate the fact that uh, you've kept it simple, kept it fun, kept it fresh, and and that will do great things for, for your fundraising goals, uh, that night. And you asked me for three and I'd say the third one is that, um, I think lifelong learning and the ability to tap into educational opportunities like this podcast are super cool. And I'm a big fan uh, of podcasts and learning more. And just, you know, Danny, when we get together with our colleagues, I think that is so exciting. My, my, fabulous wife and partner in my business, Tiffany, she says, what do you guys talk about? And does anybody ever take a breath or are you all talking at the same time? <laughs> and I said, well, only Danny, he's the only one that's really talking a lot. But, 
Um, it, it is so inspiring to share ideas and just find out what's working in, in other markets. And I, I sure enjoy those times. And I look forward to the next opportunity that we're all together because that lifelong learning is just a great way to to bring even more value to uh, our clients. And there are so many great causes out there. They all need help. And there's a great network of uh, supporters out there, and you know whether professional fundraising auctioneers, uh, uh, no-risk consignment companies, sound suppliers, venues, caterers. They're all here to help, and we can we can help you put it together and make a fabulous event. And I think if our clients understand that we as a collective, uh, no matter what aspect of the nonprofit industry we work in, we are all masterminding all the time looking for ways to uh, make these events more successful. And Nelson, you're certainly doing more than your part out there up in uh, the Pacific Northwest. I know that uh, you do travel statewide, don't you? I do. Or states stateswide, I should say. You you travel all across North America? Sure. Sure. Okay. Happy to help. Some, yeah. Well, there's no. I do. I mean, I travel outside of this market, but uh, some there's a few states where uh, that are no-fly zones for licensing reasons. Uh, but but I, I'm happy to refer uh, anybody to one of my colleagues if I'm if I'm not able to help. Um, yeah, would be happy to help. I have dreams of uh, conducting a, a bilingual auction. Uh, this is a little known. I don't think any of my auctioneer colleagues know this, but I uh, I'm a uh, Japanese studies major from the University of Washington, and I lived in Japan for three years, and and I have hopes of doing a bilingual uh, auction one day in Japanese. Wow, so, that would be cool. there. You have it. I was, it would be cool. I actually... I, we've got our sign language auctioneers out there <laughs> and Spanish, and I I've sold one item. I sell this fabulous uh, Japanese dinner for an event that I do with a couple that donates it every year. And she's always amazed when I start uh, selling it in Japanese and then she does the translation. So it's pretty fun. Uh, that is too funny. All right, my friend. Well, it's just been a pleasure uh, sharing some time with you here today. Nelson Jay from Gavello Auctions. Uh, just uh, one last little thing. Where'd you come up with the name Gavello? Uh, the name Gavello is a fusion of the word gavel, which is the auctioneer's hammer and velo, which is the bicycle. And I put those two together to form Gavello, and I uh, love love riding the bike, and and I also know that who, who knows what the future holds, but uh, I decided specifically to not name it after myself because you can never sell your name. But I thought, all right, we'll put together and uh, create the Gavello name, and and who knows where that goes. I know, I know. Uh, you're probably a, a long, long ways away from ever wanting to uh, to leave this fabulous business. So, uh, Nelson Jay, thanks a lot. I know uh, we'll have some uh, support materials, some print materials available in our show notes, uh, as well as information as to where uh, people can contact you uh, up in the Seattle area. So, thanks for your time, my friend. Thanks a lot, Danny and Ian and Renee. Great talking with you, and thanks for this excellent opportunity to uh, share what we're up to here in the Pacific Northwest. Great. Thanks, Nelson. We'll uh, talk soon. Sounds good. Thanks, guys. This has been another episode of Events with Benefits. Thank you so much for joining us. If you like what you heard on today's episode, please, please rate us wherever you find your podcasts. And be sure to share this with anyone you think it can help. You can find more information about our guest and resources in the show notes at www.eventswithbenefits.com. And please stay tuned for more episodes coming up very, very soon. Thanks all, and we look forward to seeing you next time.